There's nothing like snook hook sets at dawn or catching a tarpon in the moonlight. Find your next fishing trip made easy on fishingbooker.com and experience the magic of the Sunshine State or any other destination on your fishing bucket list. Book a blue water adventure in search of sailfish or go snapper fishing with the kids. With over 6,000 captains and trips to choose from, planning your next one just got a whole lot easier. Download the Fishing Booker app on the Google Play or App Store or visit them online at fishingbooker.com to book your trip today. Outdoor adventure won't wait for engine problems. Things like hard starts, rough performance, and lost fuel economy are often caused by fuel gum and varnish buildup. Seafoam can help your engine run better and last longer. You simply pour a can into your gas tank. Hunters and anglers rely on seafoam to keep their engines running the way it should the entire season. So pick up a can of seafoam today at your local auto parts store or visit seafoamworks.com to learn more. Welcome to the Wired to Hunt podcast, home of the modern whitetail hunter. And now, your host, Mark Kenyon. Welcome to the Wired to Hunt podcast. I'm your guest host, Tony Peterson, and today's guest is whitetail killer Alex Gilstrom. All right, folks, welcome to the Wired to Hunt podcast, which is brought to you by First Light. You might notice that this is not the voice of Mark Kenyon. He's off at the International Ventriloquist Convention, so I guess he's got a new hobby or something. Anyway, my guest today is Alex Gilstrom. Alex not only works for Whitetail Properties, but he's also an accomplished outdoor writer who hails from Michigan, but now lives in Illinois. He's one of my favorite people in the hunting industry for a lot of reasons, but the main reasons are that he's just got a great attitude. He's such a good dude. He hunts his ass off and he gets it done on both private and public land every year. I had a great time chatting with him on this episode where we get really deep into the weeds on hunting the rut and how to avoid the common mistakes that we all eventually make at one point or another as we try to take advantage of this sweet, sweet month of November. Alex Gilstrom, how you doing, buddy? Oh man, I'm doing well. It's uh, it's upon us. We are we are looking. We are entering the end of October into the early, into early November, and I can't believe it's finally here. I know it. I caught you just in the nick of time because you are packed up and and heading out tonight. Where are you headed to? I wish I was packed up. That'd oh, be yeah. better <laughs> if I was. <laughs> I'll stop on, filling I'm... in the blanks for your life. Yeah. Then you're totally unprepared, but you're still heading out tonight. Absolutely. That's that's exactly right. I, but by, by tonight, I will be packed up, and I will, and the truck will be headed west. That's a, that's a fact. Yep, headed so, west to uh, where? Uh, South Dakota. Yep, it's it's a trip I've been doing with with some buddies for the last gosh, I don't know, six seven years now. I think seven years, and um, it's just a 
it's a great time. I mean, I know you hunt the Dakotas a lot and you have, uh, we've talked about it a lot, but it's, it's a, it's a special place. I mean, it's just, it's so different than where we grew up. Obviously you in Minnesota, me in Michigan, it's like a lot of timber, a lot of farm country, a lot of, you know, a lot of hills. Now where I live in Western Illinois, there's a lot, it's a lot of hill country. And that's probably one of the things that I love about it so much is just so different. Like the terrain, everything about it. It's just open country. Um, you know, river bottom sloughs, tall grasses, things like that. It's just, um, it's a fun time and it, or it's a very fun place and it's a phenomenal time to be there because obviously as movement increases and, um, and the bucks are starting to get after the does a little bit. It's, it's a, it's just a, it's a really, really cool, cool area and region to hunt. And it tells you, or it, I should say, it tells the listeners how much you, you value that hunt and how much you want to go because you're leaving Illinois know. You know, <laughs> right on the cusp of Halloween here to go to South Dakota. But those, you know, we've, we've talked about on, on this podcast quite a bit, you know, it's been covered a lot, but those Western-ish whitetail hunts, they're just freaking cool. They like they're just, they're just a different thing. Yeah. If, if I was in complete control, I probably would have made this, I probably would be ending the trip right about now and coming back. But you know, it's, it, <laughs> you only get so many deer camps and so many, t- so much time with your buddies out there. So how, how many guys do you travel with for this? Um, I'm actually taking my dad. Uh, it's his first, it's going to be his first time he's hunted out there. Uh, so I'm really excited um to take him he retired last year so his schedule opened up a little bit more he can do a little bit more of that fun stuff so um i'm gonna take him and then there's gonna be another five four or five of us out there um so you just had to plan it around everybody's schedule basically yeah, yeah. it was just it was the, it was the the schedule kind of nightmare and and there and it's funny because like it's a couple other guys from the west and a couple other guys from michigan so it's like they don't have anything to really get back to <laughs> so, right so they're like this is their like you know trip so it's like it's weird. I, I'm like, man, I'm leaving, you know, the golden triangle right now and arguably the best time to be there. But, you know, it's it's a, it's not like we're going to be out there for a really long time. If you, you know, we'll be out there for about, about a week and then uh, and then come back and it should be just rocking and rolling right here. So it'll, um, be, it'll be a lot of fun. Be, be a little vague about this. You don't have to be too specific. But what, what part of the state are you are you headed toward? Um, it would be the South Central. Oh, OK. So yep. you're, are you, are you bumping up on mule deer territory where you go? Yep. There's oh, definitely okay. mule deer around and I do have an any deer tag. So it'll oh, be, you do? yeah, it's well, and you've, you've hunted them out there too. It's, it's weird. It, it's always sounds good, right? Like the, yeah. the, the sales pitch is always good where it's like, Oh, either, or, you know, you can have either, either tag, either, either species, but the kicker is it's like very rarely are you going to run into them in the same places? It's yep. you kind of have to like set out that day of like, I'm either going to hunt mule deer or I'm going to hunt whitetails because they just, they typically, there is some space, some spots there where they, you know, you can, you can see both. But a lot of times if you're targeting like, you know, a good representation, you know, when I'm, when I travel out of state, all I really want to do is shoot a good rep, good representation buck of that area. Yeah. That's like my goal. And if you're going to do that there, either you got to get in the sloughs and the river bottoms for the whitetails, or you got to go to kind of the breaks and the bluffs and the, in the prairie for, for the mule deer. So you, you have to pick and choose a little bit. So I don't know. We'll, we'll see. <laughs> yeah. You don't, you don't see them mixed a ton, but you do see them mixed sometimes. Sure. You know, yeah. I mean, I, I killed a buck out there in South Dakota, probably four years ago. And the spot I killed him on the very first day I got there, I watched three mule deer bucks go in there and I stalked them. They were fighting. It was cool. I got really close and then I got winded and started <laughs> looking around and I was like, this is just a deer area. I ended up killing a big whitetail in there, but it's, that's kind of an anomaly that doesn't happen that often. Yeah. 
the biggest areas, at least in, in my experiences, the areas where I do see them mixed is if there's good food. Yeah. Like if you, if you have good ag around, that's really where you can, you can get in and, and, and have an opportunity potentially at both. Um, that that's at least my kind of what I've seen out there. Yeah. So what, what's the strategy then for the whitetails in, in that region you're headed to for you? Run and gun buddy. I mean, it's yeah. just, it's, it's, it's get out there. I mean, cause it's, it's, it's vast, you know, I mean, you, it's, it's almost intimidating, especially I kind of am over it a little bit now, but I mean, in the first couple of years where I was going out there, gosh, I mean, you can, you're just like, how in the world am I going to find, cover it all? How can I, how can I, and, and, you know, quickly you realize just like anything else, you don't have to cover it all. You just got to pick the best spots and, and read the sign. And that's that. So that's it. I mean, it's just going to be get into, um, areas just from hunting in the past where I know there are deer, like there's going to be deer here and then just try to read the sign and, and go and just kind of break it down from there. Um, knock on wood, the stars are aligning for weather. I mean, it's, it's, it's been in the fifties, low sixties next week. It's basically all highs in the low forties and then the lows. So the evenings and the mornings are going to be even in the twenties to the low 30 to lo- uh, low thirties. So man, I mean, it's, it could get really, really good. Um, from a weather and deer movement standpoint, just in general, but yeah, that's, that's kind of the strategy is just your, your typical pre-rut approach where I'm expecting to see bucks cruising a lot on their feet, more, um, trying to find the doe groups. I'm reading the sign. I'm looking for, um, the freshest buck sign possible and and just kind of adapting to, to what I'm seeing from that standpoint. Are you, are you saddled up? Are you using a, a lightweight hang on? What are you doing there? Both. Uh, so I'll take a couple, I'll take a couple lightweight, uh, stands and I'll take a saddle with me too. So you'll be doing a lot of, you know, observation, move, observation, move, and just to get on. Cause it, you know, what you mentioned there is a really good point about the, the, the scope of the land out there. Yeah. It's easy to sort of just get locked up and go, okay, well I can see so much. I'm just going to keep watching and watching and never make that move. But when you get into whitetails in the, in, in the Western kind of regions like that, you realize it feels like they live big and you know, you do see them cruising, but there's little concentrations of them and there's little pockets. And so you kind of, you can look right over them sometimes thinking you're going to just be picking deer up everywhere and you really got to break it down. And it's kind of like fishing a huge reservoir, a huge lake. Like, Oh my God, I have so much water to work with. Well, like, okay, let's start, let's start narrowing this stuff down. You really see that with Western whitetails. For sure. And it's, I know you and I talk, you, you believe the same thing too. It's like, if you've got a five day hunt, I would rather scout two or even three of those and then hunt, you know, actually like set up and hunt the last couple or whatever. And, and I, in my opinion, that strategy of scout more, hunt less really help, like really pays off here to exactly your point where I, and it's, it's kind of like a, I got to check myself a little bit because I love mornings this time. Like the, the, the next 10 days, 10 to 14 days that we're encountering, like that we're coming into from a hunting season standpoint, I love mornings. Like they're so good. They're active. Bucks are really hitting sign. They're really cruising, but almost out there in those wide open spaces, like you said, one tech tactic that's kind of really benefited me is maybe sacrificing a morning or a couple mornings and just glassing, just getting up on a point, overlooking a bottom, um, coming off of ag fields or something like that and just kind of posting up and, and just glassing and seeing what's there. That's a, I mean, getting eyes on them is one of the big things like, you know, here in the Midwest, it's, you don't get to do that a lot because of the cover, right? So you have to read the sign and just, and hopefully, you know, use trail cameras or whatever, just to try to, just to try to make 
sense of like, is there a good deer in the area? Well, out there you can get eyes on, you can actually see what the good deer is. So, um, finding the, just finding groups and finding the herds and where they're, where they're feeding the, you know, just kind of getting the, the main boxes checked of like primary food sources currently being used, bedding areas currently being used and trying to get eyes on something. It's been well worth my time to maybe sacrifice a couple mornings or even an evening or two early in the hunt to really try to get, you know, eyes on something that's, that's a good target. Yeah. That's a big mistake. A lot of people make is they think, you know, whether you're traveling or you're hunting at home, just like, well, it's the rut. I'm going to go in, I'm going to sit this pinch point. I'm going to, you know, I'm going to go in this field corner or whatever, and I'm going to ride out the time and the rut's going to send a deer my way. And you realize, you know, there is, there's a volume hunting strategy in the right situation, especially when they're really running hard. But a lot of times it involves, you know, get eyes on them, find those fresh concentrations of sign, and then start working your rut pattern. And, you know, I think another mistake we make along those lines is we think, you know, like you said, you're going back, you've been, you've been out to this place a whole bunch. A lot of people would be like, oh, he must have this figured out and he's going to walk right in and know where he's going to go. But the uh, stuff changes every oh, single year, every yeah. single year. And it, it, we, one of the things we really get wrong a lot is we think, okay, well, I got this property. This, this is going to happen this way again. And yeah, sometimes it does. You know, if you have a, if you have a banging property, you can count on some consistency, but a lot of people can't. And that, that kind of messes with them a little bit. Especially as you well know, out there in that open country, I mean, it's nothing for a deer to cover miles. I mean, they, they you know, we, what we envision in the Midwest is, is a couple hundred yards is, is two or three miles for them. I mean, out there, they'll, they'll like you to your point, the changing, if food sources are different, if a crop rotation's out or something flooded out or didn't get or, or something got harvested early or hasn't been harvested yet, you just don't know. I mean, it can it can so much can change their patterns. And and I think that's another your point is exactly right, is just banking on something being consistently the same isn't. I mean, that, that you're setting yourself up for disappointment there, I think, at that at that point. And, and it is so vast. And I love learning new stuff, too. So, I mean, every time I go out there, I always make it a point to try to scout a new area or, or, try, or find something. Because you never know when you're going to stumble on the next gem, right? And you don't want to limit yourself when it, it isn't. I mean, what are you going to do? Just go to, go to your, your typical tried and true spot. And then the year you go, you know, say this year, go out there and it's just a dud. And there's nothing. Oh, I'm going to throw my hands up and just say, well, hopefully one cruises by. Well, I mean... I'm not, you can't, it's too much. (laughs) You got too much riding on it just to, just to do that. You got to keep, keep looking and keep going for sure. So I I think that is a a really big mistake is just getting too comfortable in in one specific spot. We can't, I I won't, I won't do that. I can't let myself do that. So I I completely agree. Yeah. And you know, when you're, when you're talking about people might think that your strategy out there of glassing and finding these concentrations is, is more of a Western thing, but this, this plays out in the Midwest and the East too. When you see, you know, it might be in a, in tighter confines, but seeing it, when they show you something, you know, are a lot of rut hunting strategies are, you know, okay, that's good, but I'm just going to rattle and bring him in, or I'm going to sit here and eventually he's going to chase that dome my way, or these bucks are going to cruise my way. And when you start talking to a lot of people who really get it done in the rut on pressure ground, they're not, they're not waiting. They're not trying to get the deer to come to them. They're going to the deer, and I think that's I think that's a big problem we have with rut hunting is we we think we can just call them in. We, you know, like it's not like you can't, but man, when you're working some pressure deer and they're doing something, they show you, hey, we like going through here. Or we're crossing the fence here. Like that's that's a freaking gift if you're willing to move. Absolutely, and and I, and I know it's the rut, and it it, get, it can be tough, and 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 
like you said, there's there tends to be some of this 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 unfortunate mindset where I'm just going to sit and wait or I'm going to try to call one to me. But I'm a big believer that, you know, even on pressured ground, that deer still have their tendencies and they still will, they'll develop some form of a pattern, even if that pattern changes and just sure, of course, a buck can get on a doe and chase her for five miles. That's, I mean, that can happen. That's going to happen some, but you know, I, I believe a lot in, 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 you know, bucks at, at the given time of the year, checking does in their typical spots. They've got like, what it's been, you know, you call it like a rut circuit or something like that, where they'll check certain battery bedding areas at certain times of day. And if you can find some of those tendencies, even on pressured ground, I mean, and that's where it's really going to pay off is like, not just like, okay, there's a giant rub here, buck sign, like everybody else is probably seeing or finding when they're walking into the woods and just posting up, hoping one's going to cruise by. It's, you know, mark that, note that, but adapt to it. And what's the bigger picture telling you about what these deer are doing and where they're moving. And that can, man, I mean, that, that can put you way more in the game. And, and like you said, I think that ties right in of moving to them instead of just waiting for them to come to you. Yeah. I mean, it, it kind of boils down to, you know, how confident you are. Cause I'm, w when I travel to rut hunt, I, I primarily adopt what you're talking about where I'm like, I'm watching, I'm moving, I'm watching, I'm moving. And I, I think, you know, we kind of glossed over it, but your point about, you know, sandbagging a day or two to really figure out what's going on before you get in a tree. So important a lot yeah. of times, but once in a while you do run into those situations where you just read the terrain and you go, man, if I put in four or five days here, I think it's going to happen. And, you know, again, though, you, you can devote some time to that, but what are the deer showing you? You know, I, yeah. I, I always think about, I, that's really not my style, but I did run into it in North Dakota a few years ago on public land. And I just, I picked a spot on Onyx, walked in and I said, this is where I think I had four or five days to hunt. I was like, I'm not leaving here. And the deer just gave me just enough every day to keep it going. Even though, you know, the day before I killed my buck, I saw one forky in the dark to dark sit, but it was just like, they're just here. Like somebody's going to come through here in the next morning, a great buck trailed a doe in. And so sometimes those volume hunts, if you're on like, you know, that was, that was like a classic river bluff kind of connecting two big patches of timber. I mean, it was just, there, there are situations out there where that's worth it. But you know, if you sit there for a couple of days and you don't see anything, man, you're not on it. And it's, it might not ever be coming your way. Hats off to you on that dude, because that's, that's one of my bigger weaknesses is I get too, maybe too impatient at times where it's like, if it's just not happening after a couple sits, I'm gone. Like I'm out or I'm moving to the, I'm moving on to the next or something. But I mean, it's, it's that fine line, right. Of, of, of saying when, you know, they're here, this is the spot. I just got to put my time in and it, it's a little bit of a gamble, but obviously it paid off for you in, in a good way. And, and that's, that's important too. I mean, we talk about, you know, not to speak for you, but I would, I would say we're kind of on the same mindset of, you know, being mobile as much as possible, right? Where we're, we're staying on the move, staying on the freshest sign, continuing to hunt the deer down as, as best as possible to know where they are. But I think that's some, that can be a mistake too, though, at times is, is you get a little bit too aggressive and, or antsy at times and move in um, or move too much or, or bail on a place too soon when you haven't had it, given it a chance to really develop. Um, so, I mean, that's your, your points well made. I mean, if you're in a spot, you're seeing plenty of does, you're seeing buck activity. It, it's probably just a matter of time at that point. Like you said, it is, it is probably worth a couple sits yeah. and just having a little bit more patience there. Yeah. I mean, it's, I don't know. I, I mean, I, I guess I should address that because I only saw one doe and she's the one who brought in the buck that I killed, but <laughs> every day I saw at least one cruiser 
And I, I, I did see a couple bucks in there that didn't come through that were good. And the buck I killed ran right past me two days before I killed him. I couldn't get him to stop. And it was, it's just enough. There's just situations out there where you're just like, they're just giving me enough where I don't, I don't want to leave it yet. Like you, and you know, when you're, I think I got out there on Halloween or so, somewhere right around there. And so every day you're like, you know, now you're watching the weather. It's going to get better. And you're just in a place where you're like, this is probably going to happen. And I should say too, on that buck specifically, I walked in, hung a stand, saw a nice buck the next morning. And it just, I just didn't feel right about it. I ended up moving like a hundred yards after I saw a few deer. I was like, okay, this, there's a, there's a better spot on spot here, even though I'm only working with like five acres, you know I mean? It was, it was a bigger chunk of land, but there was like five acres they were going through. And so even then, and you know, instead of trying to call them in or decoy them or something, I'm like, I can just move and get right on top of that. And I think, you know, that lesson, you know how this goes when you spend a lot of time on public land and private land and you just hunt wherever you can, you just realize like you have to make that happen because you don't know what's coming and you don't know who's going to walk in or who's going to drive in or how many people are going to show up. And that's, that's another thing I want to talk to you about is I think the, the, one of the biggest mistakes we make for the rut is we, we focus on the deer behavior. The bucks are going to get dumb. They're going to be chasing everywhere. They're going to give me my shot. What we don't think about is the people behavior and the added pressure. And this is, you know, public land's obvious, but private land, you know, I mean, just think about the difference of, you know, in, in your home state of Michigan, when you drive out on October 10th or something, you see trucks out and pulled into field drives and whatever, but think about, you know, November 2nd, 3rd, 4th, how many more you see like this, this, it's it's a different world out there. And we don't a lot of times really factor that in till we bump into it out there. And then it's, that spins us out. And again, I think it just goes back to the old adage of, of that, like not, not just the time of the year, but because this, it definitely helps and it can be really any time of the year, but exactly to what you're talking about with the pressure is don't get, I mean, I could definitely fall victim to overthinking or, you know, paralysis by analysis. I wouldn't say not to Mark Kenyon level of overthinking, but, (laughs) but but definitely, I don't think, I don't know that anybody really, any hunter is really that, you know, thinks overthinks to that, to his level, but, um, but definitely where it's okay. I need to go, I need to get on, you know, this transition where, you know, this soft transition where there's going to be this rough funnel and they're going to cruise through. I need to find the most scrapes and the most rubs. And, and it's like, again, one, that's probably what, the rest of the pressure everybody else is thinking so that's where the pressure is probably going to be applied and two i think especially when you're on a trip or something like this or or, or coming into this pre-rut time just find the deer i mean that that's that's the big thing that really i think has, has helped me when i just kind of like you know slap my forehead and say duh i mean get out there and just just find where the deer are and most likely if you can if you stay a little bit mobile you kind of keep your wits about you wind in your face and just kind of scout along doing that I mean, the deer are going to adapt to the pressure too. So if you find where they are, likely no one else is there, or at least not there right now. And you can start putting a game plan together on where the deer are right now. Just not on, I mean, I always kind of talk about this, like whenever I write anything or say anything, um, it's always like, you know, hunt where the deer are, not where you want them to be or where they should be, right? Hunt where they actually are. And I think that's a that's been the biggest thing that's helped me, especially on pressured ground is, is, is adapting to that pressure is, looking at, you know, whether it be on a, on Onyx or looking at whether it's glassing scouting or, or looking at a digital map is okay. This is where deer should be. And I probably should ground truth that and see what's going on there. 
But if all of a sudden I'm starting to see more vehicles here, I'm starting to see, I can bet that most of the time that's where these hunters that are getting after it are going to go. They're going to go to these spots where they're seeing the sign, which obviously, yeah, I mean, that's not saying it's, it's a, that's a bad approach. Just temper it with that pressure that you're talking about and adapt to where you're actually seeing the deer right now. I mean, that, because they're, they're adapting to the pressure. You have to adapt to the pressure and especially during the time period of this pre-rut where the bucks are seeking the does. I mean, I think that's a big thing too, is a lot of times, you know, guys that are targeting bucks focus too much on the buck sign itself and get wrapped up in the sign where it's being laid down, how fresh is it, you know, all this instead of like, okay, if I just can hang with this doe group or if I'm watching this doe group and if they're starting to act, you know, right, or, or starting to see some young bucks come in or other bucks, I mean, that to me, that's, that's one of the most, I know it's super simplified and seems like, like, duh, just follow those during the rut. But I think it's, I think it's something that we overanalyze and often miss. Well, yeah. And you, the way that you're, you're talking here, I mean, I, I've, I've started to lean into this so hard and I, I think it is just like when you go show up at random public land somewhere, your first job is to find a concentration of deer and to avoid people. Like you have, you have two things you got to do. Right. And what it, what it's kind of made me realize is I've, I've brought that to these private land chunks that I have permission to hunt. And I realized like, right when you started that, you, you said, you know, like, you have to find the concentration of deer. And it, what it really makes me think about is if we go into a spot we're used to hunting and we have permission on or our lease, we're taking it for granted that the deer are there and we're going, okay, well, the deer live here. We're not thinking like where specifically are the deer right now? Like, where are they right now? We're thinking the deer live here, so they're here and I'm good. And when you go travel and you show up at a new place, especially a public land place, you go, I don't have that luxury. I have to find a concentration right now. And really, it kind of makes me, I feel uneasy about, you know, I've created so much whitetail content in my life. And, you know, there's, there's pressure from the top down to be like, how to kill big bucks, how to kill big bucks, how to kill big bucks. Yeah. And as you know, like the, the phase I'm in right now, I'm like, most of my big bucks came from finding concentrations of deer first. It wasn't like I walk into the woods and I'm like, there's a big buck track. There's a big buck rub. I know this dude lives here and I'm going to hunt that buck specifically. It's like, where are the deer now? And then you start getting in there and working them. And then they give you something that leads you to a big one. And it usually doesn't usually don't go in with this mindset of like, I'm only thinking about big bucks. That's all that matters. And I'm going to get there. And when you talk about the rut, like you're talking about right now with these doe bedding groups and stuff, like, do you really know where the does are bedding? Like, do you really know where these doe concentrations are? I'm not talking about them walking out into the bean field that you know they're going to do eventually. Yeah. Where do the does live? Where do they travel? How do the bucks work them with certain kinds of winds? That stuff, those are the things that you really want to answer if you want to have a really badass rut. Absolutely. I mean, and I know like, like buck bedding is like super hot right now. It's like a hot topic. Everybody's talking about it, wanting to like, oh, I want to hunt buck beds. I want to find buck beds. I want to get on them and and do all that. Like, don't get me wrong. There's a lot of value to that. Like, yeah, yes, it's a good idea to know where bucks bed. (laughs) That is, that, that would help you. (laughs) But, but like, to me, I mean, I see that as being not that you can't be successful with that approach or strategy right now, but that's early season before, you know, that's when bucks are still being bucks. I mean, they're still doing their own thing. They're kind of isolated. They're doing their off, you know, especially we're talking about a little bit older, older bucks too. They're kind of doing their own thing off and and doing that. But you're exactly, I mean, it seems like every time it's like this time of the year, when you're coming into this pre-rut phase, what the next 14 days look like for us, I feel like 
when you're on doe groups and you're on just just your herds of deer and you're seeing multiple deer in a night and it, you know they start filtering out or coming through or moving through or you see them standing up or moving around and it's like you're seeing more and more and more like those are the times the evenings or the mornings where i see bigger bucks like you're like that this is where the the deer are and and this is you know because the bucks are shifting too. They're not, they're not using those same like deep dark holes of bedding all the time right now. They're, they're on the move. They're, they're betting on the go or laying down for a little while and getting up and then cruising through again. And I, I, I totally agree, man. I mean, it's, it's, yeah. it's finding those groups of deer right now where they are, because that's, I mean, that's where the bucks are going to be. Yeah. Pay attention here because this is a hell of a good service. It's called the Wellness Company. Picture this, okay? You wake up, you got a scratchy throat, you're all congested, you got a runny nose, you got a cough, whatever. And you weigh your options like you tough it out, get sick, take time off work, try to get a doctor's appointment sometime in the next few months, wait two hours at urgent care and sit in a room full of sick, sick folks, or you open your medical emergency kit. You match your symptoms to the doctor-recommended prescription, and you start on the right meds right away. These medical emergency kits, not a first aid kit, all right? It comes with doctor-prescribed meds to treat over 39 medical issues. So, on hand, strong antibiotics for infections of all types. Plus, a doctor's easy guide so you know exactly what to take and when. No waiting to see the doctor. No waiting at the pharmacy. It's all in there. Every home should have at least one medical emergency kit. Order yours online in minutes. Your kit will be rushed to your door. Get 15% off at urgentcarekit.com slash eater and use promo code MEATEATER. That's promo code MEATEATER at urgentcarekit.com slash eater. Hey, everybody knows Weber Grills. I've been using Weber Grills my whole life, and check it out. They got a pellet grill, the Weber Searwood Pellet Grill. Now, with a pellet grill, you can smoke, roast, and sear what I like to do on the same grill. You can go from low and slow, okay, on smoke boost mode, which gives you great smoke at 180 degrees, or crank this thing all the way to a heat sear at 600 degrees. It's got a full, great sear zone, so you can put more food on the flame. This, this, this is my way of bull saying If I was going to cook roast one way, that's how I like to do it, sear roast. Utilize the smoke boost setting to intensify that smoky flavor. Direct flame cooking creates searing, crisping, and browning. Food's going to look as good as it tastes. This grill gets hot in 15 minutes. Cleanup is easy. Cook confidently with intuitive digital controls at the grill. And enjoy the sleek, easy-to-use surface. You can also add a heavy-duty rotisserie or rust-resistant griddle insert to up your game. Get fired up for your new Weber Searwood pellet grill. We've been talking about this quite a bit lately where there's really kind of two strategies to hunting, you know, kind of the heart of the rut or just the immediate pre-rut. And it's it's either get on that funnel, get on that pinch point, or get somewhere on the downwind side of a doe bedding area. And I, I ran across something uh, working. I was working on an article for meat eater that isn't out yet about just, you know, how to adapt to hot weather during the rut, essentially. 
because we hit it often, you know, at least every couple of years you get unseasonably warm temps. And I found some deer research that, that kind of highlighted it was, it was from down South. So it might not be applicable everywhere, but I kind of think it might be where, you know, the rut doesn't stop. We know that. And we think, okay, well, they're going to run at night or they're going to be chasing more. Yeah, probably some, to some extent, it's probably going to tilt toward the nocturnal movement, but those bucks are still going to be looking. Those does are going to find those microclimates of cooler, cooler spots. And they're going to bed there. And what it kind of highlighted to me was, you know, if you're dealing with a hot rut, those does move less. They, they radio collared them in this study. So they're going to stay bedded longer. Those bucks are still going to look for them. And so if you're, it it just, it it was kind of a light bulb moment for me where I I always find myself between those two. Like, am I going to go try to post up somewhere on the end of this ridge where I know doe's bed, or am I going to go get on this, this badass terrain feature? And if it gets warmer, it's like, okay, well, we know those does bed longer. Those bucks are going to look for them. And I, that, you know, when you hear something like that, or you read that where it's, where science is like flushed that out a little bit for you, then you start thinking and you're like, man, when was, you know, okay, I killed that buck when it was 75 degrees during the rut. Yeah. What was he doing? And like, he was doing exactly what they're talking about. And so you have these options if you know how to handle them when, when the, the rut weather throws you a curve or the pressure throws you a curve, all that stuff's important. For sure. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, we, last year was a perfect example. We were kind of plagued with it last year, this year, knock on wood, it's looking a little better, but uh, you know, we, it was gosh, 70 degrees, high sixties in the seventies South. We were plagued by constant South winds all last November. It was nuts, but, um, and you have to do, I mean, but, but even there again, whether you've got great weather, terrible weather, whatever, if you find the does, if you find where the deer are, you will, you're going to see the de- where the deer, I mean, a buck isn't going to cruise by a, a doe bedding area where there's clearly does in it and say, Oh, I, I'm not going to go in there and chase her around because it's daylight. I'm going to wait till, I'm not going to wait. I'm going to wait till dark to do that. No, he's not going to say that he's going to get in there and, you know, do his thing. But, uh, yeah, so I, I completely agree. And, it, and it's just, it does get your wheels turning a little bit when you say, man, at the end of the day, there's they're deer, they're still going to be deer and they're going to do deer stuff. And yep. when you can find them, that's where you're really going to be. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, we, let's, let's, go down this this hot weather road a little bit because even though we it doesn't look like we're going to get it last year we got it bad and some of the stuff i looked up it said i think it was i think november 2020 was the fourth warmest november on record in the united states since they've been keeping track so in like the last 130 years or something like that so it was a hot one and it what it what it makes me think of is people will say well you know the the rut's going to be late or it's not going to happen and magically we had a bunch of fawns in April and May that were born and it turns out the rut happened one way or the other. Right. And, you know, like you said, this, this is not, it, hopefully we're not going to be facing it too much this year, but there's still things you can do and things you can plan for. And I, I, I had a deer biologist tell me one time, uh, I can't remember exactly what we were discussing, bedding in cornfields or something. And he mentioned microclimates and he said, yeah, they got, they got all that stuff figured out. You know, and it's, if it's, two degrees cooler bedding in the, you know, the top soil of the, you know, the dark soil yeah. or the, at the, in the bottom of a cornfield, they're going to know that. And it, I've got this route I run by my house that dips down into, it's a, it, I take a little trail through this park and it dips down into this cattail slough and where I live is pretty flat. And so you're talking a, a elevation change of maybe like 40 feet, maybe, sure. But when, when you run through there, especially in the mornings and the evenings, the temperature difference feels like it's like six, seven, eight degrees. And you just, you you hit something like that and you go, if you lived in a square mile of land, if you were a deer 
and you were four and a half years old and you've spent most of your life in one square mile, you'd know every spot like that. Absolutely. And you'd know every spot like that and, and how the wind behaved in there when it blew out of every single direction. Yep. And so we, th- we think about this stuff and a, and a doe would too, right? Yeah. And so we sit there and go, oh man, it's 15 degrees above, no, you know, it's 65 degrees and I wanted it to be 30. Like, man, they got it figured out. They're yeah. going to make some baby deer somehow. Like, what are you going to do to adapt to it? And I mean, it, it, so many dots connect and things click when you're in exactly the instance you're talking about. I know the feeling too. Like you drop down into a bottom or come out and you can, you can physically feel the, the temperature change. I mean, and so the deer obviously are understanding that too. And what are you getting too? You get, again, thinking about the rut or pre-rut of bucks looking for does especially bigger bucks and older bucks, they're more efficient. They, they've been through a couple ruts. They get the gig. They know how this thing works. They want to be efficient with their time and their travel. And they're, they're not just going to like, you know, just zigzag all over the place. Like you see every, you know, four corn year and a half old do or something like that. You know, they're going to, they're being efficient with their travel. They know those regions not only are more comfortable for deer in general to, to live in bed and things like that, but a lot of times you're getting thermal pull down there. You're getting wind swirl, which they love because then they can kind of scent check all directions and they can, keep the, keep their, you know, the nose to their advantage and things like that. So that's, again, just increasing the odds of them being in those types of areas. Um, it's a great thing to pay attention to. I mean, I, I love that. Yeah. That's a great, I mean, it's, it's great to, to find those little, those little nooks and crannies like that. And you're only going to increase your odds when the conditions are tough and yep. pressure can do the same thing. I mean, you could get a lot of times you're getting habitat diversity in those spots where it'll be thicker, higher stem count stuff. Um, again, you can't overgeneralize it, but there's just usually in those instances, there's a lot of things that play to play to a deer's and a hunter's advantage, both of finding them, setting up and, and getting a crack. And, you know, the deer instinctively are going to find where they can be safer, cooler, more comfortable and have more, more elements play into their advantage. And those are those kind of setups like you're talking about are exactly that. Yeah. And it, it's though, those kind of little aha moments when you, when you figure that stuff out, they really, they come from time out there, yeah. you know, like, I mean, it, and it, I always think about, you know, in the summer when you go hang stands, or you go scout a new property and you're walking around, if you're open to that stuff, you find it, you know, where, where there's a real, you know, it's, it might be harder to find in March when the temperature doesn't change 10 degrees yeah. all day. Right. But when you go out there in July and it's, you know, 85 degrees and you're, you're running around on the top of a bluff and then you dip down on the bottom by the trout stream you know, it's different. And then yeah. you got to think, okay, well, if I were, you know, 225 pounds of horned up deer and I had a, uh, you know, winter coat on and I was going to run for 23 hours a day, like <laughs> I'd probably swing through here or I, yeah. you know, this would probably be a part of my route. And, you know, you said something earlier that I want to touch on about this, uh, as far as like kind of their clover leaf pattern or these circuits, these bucks run, you know, like we, we think it's just random chaos across the countryside. Nature doesn't work that way. Nature defaults to calorie efficiency all the time. And so when you, and yeah. we see this in some of these radio collar studies, right? Where these, these bucks, they, they collar them and they do the, like the clover leaf pattern, or they have some kind of route where when they, when they overlay the route day to day to day to day during the rut, you know, it's every six hours, or every 12 hours, same route, same, you know, unless the wind shifts, I'm sure they, they change it a little bit, but yep. you see this there, there, there's very little randomness to it. It's kind of like if you, if you see, 
uh, like a graphic of wolf packs when they live next to each other, yeah. or, you know, wolf packs that share a region. Like there's, yeah. it's very clear where the boundaries are. Like you, you might right. think the wolves are running all over the countryside. Like, nope, they know exactly where they're going. Deer do the same thing. And so again, kind of back to what we were talking about before, if you're not on them, like you might really not be on them. This, this is still exactly. happening out there somewhere. Yeah. You're just not on it. Cause when you see those studies, you're like, yeah, they're covering freaking ground. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I, I, yes, agreed a hundred percent. And I, there's, I mean, yeah, don't get me wrong. There's, you know, nothing's absolute. There's, there's randomness and there's, you know, they'll get on a hot dough finally. And then that's when things, you know, kind of go crazy. But I completely agree in that circuit concept and approach. I've seen it. I, I know that's what they're doing. I mean, again, it goes back to bucks wanting to be efficient and wanting to, to, to get to their end result, which is find a hot dough. So they know where those does bed and they know the multiple family groups. They know where they are and they're going to go from one group to the next until they find one in heat or, or getting close to, and then they'll go and, you know, lock down with her. But it's, they're just going to keep moving and running those, running those routes and circuits every day until then one finally smells right. And then it's, and then, then it's on. So I, I completely agree with that. If you can, if you can kind of see through the chaos of the rut and kind of just simplify it down to that and find where those, those groups are and understanding like, and that's in my opinion, where we talk about funnels and we talk about pinch points and things like that. But when you can understand, okay, go group here, betting group here, where's the funnel or pinch point in between the two. Like that's something to set up. Like you're not just finding like a, or something next down and just hoping for random movement, you know, come cruising through, but, but really think through like at the basic level of does are bedded here or other does are bedded here. How can I get between those two for the best setup and approach? And like, I mean, more than likely, and, and if that particular route or whatever isn't on that buck's buck circuit or isn't on that travel pattern, then shift and try another one. But those, I mean, again, I think somebody just we overcomplicate it so much and try to get so in the weeds with like approach and strategy and all these other things. But I think once, if you can get it down to that level, and again, it's, I know it's a lot easier to, to talk about and say than actually get out there and really see it. Right. But once you get out there and start realizing some of those tendencies and, and those areas, man, that's when you're putting yourself in the game, in my opinion, in my opinion. So let's talk about the, these, these funnels and pinch points. Like what's your ideal, like if you, if you had to just draw up a dreamy scenario, what's your like ideal pinch point? Ooh, I got a couple of them, but I, um, like you, man, I love water. I love creeks. Um, you're getting, cause you're not only you're, there's just, I mean, we could talk for days on water in general, but just it's cause it's so great, <laughs> but especially <laughs> when you're on trips, but like creeks and creeks and, you know, are my, are one of my favorites because you're getting a resource, especially right now when deer cruising a lot, bucks are running and they're chasing or they're, they're, they're on their, they're, they're running their routes or cruising their routes. They need water. Uh, usually have cooler temperatures. There's usually a wind advantage there for them with a swirl or a thermal pole or something like that. And there's almost always a terrain feature that, in, that, that inspires some type of movement where it's either got, it's going to manipulate either movement in some way because of the way it, it's cut out in deer. I mean, we'll take the leap path of least resistance and they'll just walk around something or crossing where that's narrow or wherever. So narrow Creek crossings, um, you know, with two habitats come together, say it's like a CRP, uh, CRP edge or like an old field grown up edge, whatever. Um, a timber, like a timber finger and a Creek that runs with that, where you've got a bunch of that stuff kind of coming together in one spot. I love stuff like that. Um, where you just have, you have structure transitions, um, edge kind of all coming together in one place. I really love that. 
Um, grown, grown up thick CRP fields are another one. I just, I absolutely love them. Um, just the thicker, the nastier, the better. Figuring out the edges around those where that where the transition happens, how they're entering and exiting. A lot of times for bedding, whether it be doe bedding or whatever, um, how they're getting into that um, are another really great ones. And those can either be, you know, if you've got a hillside that kind of dumps down into a bottom. I mean, that hillside in itself will help follow movement. I mean, yes, they'll transition along, they'll move or travel along the hillsides, but. A lot of times, if you look at that top third or the bottom, that's where the movement's happening. Usually not some, you know, not a lot in between, but if you can get on that top of the hill or the slope or at the bottom, up along that, wherever that thick cover is, um, man, a lot of really, that's, that's a lot, been a lot of really good travel and cover there too. Um, yeah, I mean, just those are, those are probably two of my favorites, I'd say, along those, those thick brushy creek bottoms, either at a crossing or where it kind of, where it kind of winds in and creates a pinch or a travel uh, a tight travel corridor where they kind of just have to go through there in a cre- in winding creek or up on a, a habitat or a terrain transition with a crp field or some kind of thick cover where wherever you're having to a change in habitat is, is just in itself is a really really great funneling kind of a funneling there's a funnel factor that happens there so some of the a lot of the stuff you're talking about i mean it, the creek bottom thing is just money like hey, there's that's my yeah. favorite too but and you know obviously if you can get around a crp field and you got some edge habitat you're doing you're doing all right too but let's just let me throw a curve your way so let's say somebody was like alex you're heading up to the up in michigan yeah. Yeah. and you're going to be hunting relatively flat ground uh you know miles of unbroken timber so yep. you don't you know because a lot of the examples or a lot of things you just talked about, you've, you've got some elevation, you got some up and down to work with. That makes, sure. to me, that makes finding pinch points and funnels a lot easier. I just agree. does. And work in the wind. But what if you got a big woods flat situation? What, what are you doing there? Then it's for me in that situation, it's, it's going to be as, as much habitat as possible. So it's the habitat change. So a lot of times you'll find, you know, you'll find clusters of, you know, whether it be multiple rows, just some, some, something thicker that breaks up, that breaks up just the, the sea of, of big timber, um, at higher stem count, even, it doesn't even necessarily have to be a different species of habitat. It can just be, you know, if you're in a, there's giant maples and oaks and, and everything like that, or in, in this big wood setting, um, or even pines, just finding younger stuff, like just, just higher stem count, younger stuff grouped together you're just likely going to find higher concentrations of deer, like soft edges within the big timber setting, I think are great. I, I, I love that stuff. It just attracts deer, not only to, to hang out in bed, but also it gives them uh, more food variety. They've got, they've got just different stuff to browse on and eat just natural vegetation, things like that. Um, that would be a, a, a big one first and foremost. Um, and just, I guess, understanding what kind of food, that big wood setting offers that deer are liking or that you're seeing deer sign in and around and just trying to focus on whatever the largest concentration of that type of food for them is. If it's a certain browse, if it's um, just like a, like I said, natural vegetation that they're eating, um, focus in on that food and then try to see, okay, is there, I mean, gosh, I mean, I've hunted big woods a, a little bit. I don't hunt it probably as much as you or, 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 or I wouldn't say I hunted a lot, but even just the slightest little, uh, variance in, in terrain, even if it's, if it is mostly flat, if you find this little depression or like there's this little knob and coming off that backside of that knob, if there's 
you know, if it's somewhat a little protected or, or there is even a, a habitat uh, transition or change there, um, you can almost always find a trail, find some signs, find something there. So I'm looking for that, just the, even the slightest mix in habitat or cover um, and try to help focus in on, on what, what they're, what they're eating kind of food just naturally in the, in the big wood setting. Yeah. The soft edges, a little bit of terrain. I, I ran into something, uh, I don't know, a couple of weeks ago, I was out with the, with the dogs. I was hunting woodcock in Northern Wisconsin and I just, I was on this huge chunk of County land and I'd, I'd been in there the weekend before mostly hunting grouse. And I, I saw this area that I kind of forgot about, but it was clear cut and it was probably, it's pretty young, maybe, maybe a two or three year old clear cut. So a little bit younger than I usually like to hunt. And, but, you know, driving by it, hunting some other stuff, I was like, I'm going to, you know, one of these times this fall, I'm going to run in there with the dogs and just see the next weekend I got, I had my chance. I had a little bit of time in the middle of the day. So I took the dogs in there. It was full of woodcock and I'm, I'm hunting along and I looked over and I saw a shed antler hanging in a tree and I've never, the first hanger I've ever found in my life. And it was a, it was a decent deer for up there. It was pretty nice, but I'm like, man, this is cool. You know, like you don't find October sheds all that often. And I started looking around and I was like, man, like there's, there, I'm just on this little kind of knob in here. And if you looked at it from the road, you're like, it's just a flat, you know, a couple hundred acres that they cut. But when you get in there, you're like, there's some, there's like a, a, such subtle terrain to it. And you start looking around. I'm like, I could see why he, why he wintered in here. But yeah. then we, I hunted sort of out toward the edge where the swamp met this kind of high woods, older growth stuff and where the, where that clear cut hit. And you're like, okay, now I have a, a nice edge. And then I've got a swamp that's kind of funneling them around. I started looking, and I'm like, there's it's pounded in here, even even in a low density area. And I was like, that this is a place where if you post it up with the right wind, does probably bed in there. The bucks are real comfortable in that clear cut. And it just you just start looking at it and going, it's easy to think that those big woods situations don't really offer you a whole lot, sure. but it's a it's subtle. You know, it's not like the in your face, you know, where a bluff bumps up to a nice river out west or something like it's a subtle transition or a subtle soft edge. But when you start finding them, you go, this is it. Like, this is what you start working, you know, yeah. and I mean, in, in that situation, it might be better to be running a bunch of cameras if you could or whatever. But but you could observe in there and be moving. And, you know, so it's I think it's important to look at this. I, I realize we do something a lot. I'm, I'm curious your take on this, Alex. I'm trying to uh, focus on the things that are positive out there. Like what, what do you have working in your favor? Cause I, you know, like with the, with the hot rut or windy weather, or, you know, extra people out there, we tend to just kind of glom onto the negative and go, well, this is working against me. Right. Yeah. I sat all day yesterday. I didn't see anything. I had three idiots walk through with cock crossbows over their shoulder. Like we, we always focus on the negatives instead of going, all right, what is, what are they giving me right now? You know? And like you mentioned, the, the forecast is shaping up real nice. Uh, yeah. What do they give you as far as, you know, what you can observe? What are they giving you for sign? What what are you giving yourself a chance to really figure out instead of just being like, you know, kind of focus on the negative and be like, well, I'm just going to sit here and hope that I can rattle one in. I, I, th- I think the mindset part of that is huge. So big. So big. Yeah. Mindset is huge. And I'm, I'm fortunate. So whatever, for whatever reason, I was born a serial optimist. So I am probably pretty much positive about everything, which is, which is, it's great. But I, I didn't realize I didn't realize how much of an advantage that would play into hunting until like 
uh, you know, a few years back where it's just like, cause that's just the way I was. Like, I just always look the glass half full. I'm not, all right. I know I can't control like these yahoos that are coming in here and like, you know, mucking this whole place up and just causing issues with all this hunting pressure. And man, the deer just aren't moving right now. Like, what am I going to, oh, the weather's coming to, you know, I just, I just, I just naturally don't think like that. So that's really, really, it's been a really positive thing for me for deer hunting because man, I've really just, it's caused me to filter through all that stuff and just find what is happening. Okay. Well, it's not happening right here, man. This has been really tough. I need to move on and find the next spot. I need to go. I need to keep, keep moving until I find it or I'm finding it here. Yeah. It's, it's hot. They're just not moving there, man. They should be cruising up and down this Ridge. No problem at all. Like they, they should be a magnet for this place, but they're not here. All right. I need to, I need to move down a little bit um, and find where they are. You know, maybe it's hot and it's like, we're talking about They're They're sitting in that lower where that, that just that, climate change or that climate hub where it's just a lower spot down where it's a little cooler and it's going to pull so i just i i've always thought just with kind of like that really just optimistic outlook um and it is a huge advantage i mean i would you know urge everybody just to try to be as positive as possible because at the end of the day man like you say it all the time we're we're hunting we're not we're not solving we're not curing cancer out there right it's like we're just we're uh we're trying we're meant to enjoy it and we need to be positive and find the things that are just really um, that are working in the favor for the deer movement, whatever there's always, and I truly believe if you look hard enough or if you, or if you just keep the right mindset, like you're saying, you can always find something. There's always something to, because it's not like the deer just vanished off this, you know, whatever that track is, or that piece, if there's a sign there, then yeah, they may have shifted or there may not be as many as there were or whatever. But if you look close or if you think of the right mindset, you're going to find something. Yeah. You're going you're gonna to find something that's going to tell you, tell you a positive thing that you can cling on to as a clue and keep, keep moving. Yeah. Pay attention here because this is a hell of a good service. It's called the Wellness Company. Picture this, okay? You wake up, you got a scratchy throat, you're all congested, you got a runny nose, you got a cough, whatever. And you weigh your options, like you tough it out, get sick, take time off work, try to get a doctor's appointment sometime in the next few months, wait two hours at urgent care and sit in a room full of sick sick folks, or you open your medical emergency kit. You match your symptoms to the doctor-recommended prescription, and you start on the right meds right away. These medical emergency kits, not a first aid kit, all right? It comes with doctor-prescribed meds to treat over 39 medical issues. So, on hand, strong antibiotics for infections of all types. Plus, a doctor's easy guide so you know exactly what to take and when. No waiting to see the doctor. No waiting at the pharmacy. It's all in there. Every home should have at least one medical emergency kit. Order yours online in minutes. Your kit will be rushed to your door. Get 15% off at urgentcarekit.com slash eater and use promo code MEATEATER. That's promo code MEATEATER at urgentcarekit.com slash eater. Hey, if you guys like to cook outdoors and you ought to, you should check out the Weber Slate Rust Resistant Griddle. Now, this, this is a good innovation here and it solves a real problem okay so this is a carbon steel cooktop that's safe for metal tools like a griddle on your grill it's pre-seasoned with food safe oils and ready to cook on right out of the box there's no use of coatings okay you can use metal tools to flip press and scrape without worry it's the griddle that stays ready 
not rusty. Now, everything, the problem with griddles, everything rusts. No one talks about how bad everything rusts. Uh, the reason they don't because they couldn't fix it until now. Well, Weber's new rust-resistant technology, your Weber grill will last for years. When used, the carbon steel griddle hardens and bonds the surface, reducing the ability for moisture to collect and rust to form. With the new Weber Works Prep Cook and Store System, you can keep cooking and cleaning supplies handy, carry food and condiments from the kitchen to the griddle, and even convert the side table into a prep station. Get fired up for your new Weber Slate rust-resistant griddle. The one thing that I've come to realize on that, sort of on this note, is you know, how your attitude is will keep you looking. It's a, it's a self-fulfilling prophecy, right? Like if you if you believe you're going to find it, you're going to keep looking and you're going to find it. And I also think it helps you handle the mistakes much better. So I I can remember I was not born like a muppet like you were. I was not born a total <laughs> optimist. <laughs> I was born pretty pessimistic and it's taken me a long time to crawl out of that hole, but I I I can think back to times in my hunting career where you know, I, I had a I had a situation, I think I was probably about I don't know, early twenties. And I I was like at the point where I'd killed some two year olds and I was like, I need to like I need to put my big boy pants on and kill a big one here eventually. Like this has gotta happen. <laughs> and I had a night where I had a like a one fifty come in, which to me in Minnesota at that time was unreal. I mean, it was like holy balls. Missed him. And then I missed a like 125 inch eight pointer like 10 minutes later. Oh. And I was like, and I hadn't killed a big, big buck yet. And I, I'm telling you, dude, I was in a bad place. And <laughs> this was definitely not the first time I had missed a big one, but it was the first time I had missed two really good opportunities and it just total fell apart. And that crushed me, right? Like just stupid. Yeah. And now I think about when things like that happen. So just, just for example, last year I had about six days to hunt Minnesota right before the gun season. So beginning of November and, you know, okay standards. I wasn't like, I don't, I didn't need a 150. Like I needed just like an okay buck. Right. Cause I knew, I knew where I was. It wasn't like you were going to, I wasn't hunting Iowa, but I went out and just kind of got my ass handed to me. You know, I just, I, I was on some little ones, but I just couldn't get anything going. There was a lot of people on that farm and I ended up the last morning I had before I had to leave, I texted my buddy and I said, if a deer comes by, I'm shooting it. I'm getting out of here. I got doe tags. I got buck tags and I, I want to be done. Had a little buck come in, just a, a gift, shot him. He ran off and died. And I was, I was sitting there getting my stuff ready. I started looking around a little more closely because this is a morning hunt. This is a place I've hunted since I was 15 years old. I've spent some time there sure. and I started looking and I was like, man, all those rubs are leading to and from the cornfield below me. And I'm looking at the cornfield that I've looked at and I've walked through hundreds of times, not joking. And I'm just looking at the terrain and, the, and I'm like, man, I found a shed right out in the middle of that two years ago. And there's like a little hump out there. It just clicked. And I was like, he's bedding out there. There's a big one in here and he's bedding in that corn. And he's yeah. coming through here at certain times. And it was just like such a stupid revelation. It was one of those times where I was just like, I, I felt good about it. I was like, even though like the, the hunt didn't really go the way I wanted to, I just had this moment where I was like, now I know. Yeah. Like now like, I like, out. it took yeah. a lot of, you know, bumbling around, but that little thing was really important to learn. 
and to yeah. use, and I'll use that for a long time. I promise you. And I think when you, when you, when you go in with a bad attitude or something happens and it's just not going your way, it's just harder to learn from the dumb stuff you've done. Like I should have figured that out. Like if you look at my resume, I should have had that one <laughs> dialed. <laughs> I didn't. And I didn't for a long, long time, but now I feel like I do. And I think attitude just plays into that so much. I agree, man, entirely. And it's, it's, it's all about mindset and figuring it out. And it's, and that's, again, I think just, just the, a lot of that plays into just the, having the kind of this search for knowledge, right. Is we just want to learn as much as we possibly can. And that's where you get, you know, you just get, I mean, cause what are you doing at that point? You know, if you're just, if you're just going back to the same spots over and over and over again, where you had success and you're going to have some more success, but it's like, you're not learning anything new or you're not looking at it with a different mindset or perspective or trying to understand something new about this, this certain spot. I mean, it's, it's everything. I mean, you got to continue to grow and evolve and adapt if you really want to, you know, be, be the best hunter you can be, or, you know, whatever that, whatever that definition is for yourself. Um, I, I think that's, it's so important to, to, to find and keep looking and, and, and yeah, I mean, those failures suck and it does take you to a dark place, man. There's, there are no, I've been there many times. I mean, this, there's a public piece here in Illinois that I hunt. Um, I've been hunting it really hard actually for the last three years. And I've never, I haven't killed a deer on it and I've wounded a really big one. And I've missed another one. And it's just like, it just, I, it deflates you. I mean, it absolutely just takes it out of you. But at the same time, if you look at it with another perspective after, you know, after the sting wears off a little bit, you can look at it with another perspective of what can I learn about this? What did I understand? What did the deer, how did I break down what this deer was doing? Why was he there at this particular time? And, you know, at this moment and what brought him in and you, you start looking at it from, you know, a, a higher, more basic level perspective of what you can take away from that and, and, and learn from the situations or the encounters, again, putting a positive twist on maybe an, an otherwise negative situation. It's only going to help you grow and learn in the, in the long run. I'm, and, and even I, I've even tried to do it from even successes, even when you shoot one and it's like, great, I got one. Like, and, and, it, and that's kind of where it stops a lot of times. And it's like, wait a second, do you really understand how you got to kill that deer? Like what, what happened? What, what transpired? You, how'd you access? How'd the deer come in? Where were you set up? Why were you set up? When, how, you know, those, those who, what, when, where, why things, the, those questions, just especially the why questions, a big one is just continuing to try to generate knowledge and looking at it from a positive angle of like, how can I play this to my advantage? How can I, what can I learn? What can I take away from this to be better moving forward? Um, it's, I think that is the most basic way to improve as a hunter is, is, is having that positive mindset and learning from obviously mistakes, but also, you know, your successes too, and really break them down and analyze it. Yeah. Wouldn't it, wouldn't it be interesting if after every deer that you shot, you could see a printout of all the negative thoughts you had that day leading up to it. It would be be awesome. (laughs) You know, absolutely. If you could just, there was just a ticker tape and it was like, ah, this access sucks. Or I stepped on this stick or that guy walked in or there's three more trucks here than I expected. And then you see the buck coming and you're like, don't mess this up. Don't screw this up. Should I call to him? Should I not call to him? I mean, it would probably be really fascinating to, to take a deep dive into your psyche in those moments and realize how often you probably break negative. I don't know about you, but those are kill days. Like when everything is going wrong and I've done every single thing wrong in, in the books, I, that's, I'm like, I'm going to see a big one today. Like that's going to happen. I'm probably, and I'll probably kill him because everything else has been a nightmare. It's like the days where it's like, 
man, I got it. I got there like way early. I snuck in, didn't make a peep. I got set up, hung my stand or I got set up without even, you know, scratching any bark or anything like that. It's just, and I got, it got settled and everything is perfectly quiet. And then I start sitting there. I'm like, yep, that was way, that happened way too easy. There's, I'm not going to see a thing. Like that's, <laughs> it's always the, it always seems like it's the reverse when things are a nightmare. That's when it's going to come together. So yeah, you're right. Just got to think positive all the time then. Yeah, you got to be the eternal optimist out there. What was the single best rut hunting day you ever had in your life? Oh, wow. Um, gosh, that's tough, dude. There's a couple, there's been a couple really good ones. I've been blessed. Um, There's two. One was about, oh man, probably 15 years ago. And that's when I was still living in Michigan. Uh, It was Halloween morning. And um, I watched six bucks and about a 145 inch nine point maybe even pushing 150 and again this is michigan so it's a it's a big one um and it's a big one anywhere but it's a it's, it was a really big one for there and i actually watched him lock down and breed a doe for six hours he bred her like three times um i gotta watch him out in this field and of course you know she got up i, I, I wasn't going there planning on sitting all day actually i had some stuff going on that, that afternoon so i was gonna hunt till about midday on halloween morning and then and then bail and i ended up sitting all day dark to dark in that spot um, and watched him, you know, then the doe got up and went, went the other way, of course, and let off. But the other time was in Kansas. I was on a piece of public and there was no good trees to get in. And I called it, I, I kind of, I've hunted it a couple other times since then, but it has never been as good as it was this year. And, and we've talked about this a lot out there in Kansas, cows, right? Cows on, on public and walking ground. So it was a super dry year. So the rancher rotated his cattle off early. And, and into another spot, which was great because then deer moved in. And once the cows are off, the deer move into this place. And it kind of creates this, it's in this like little, this, this little roll. There's, it's, it's a, it's a low spot between two rolls. The low spots probably 50 yards wide between these two rolls and in, in these, in these hills and these, uh, in this prairie is pasture. And there's a row of, there's an old fence row that's all brushed, brushed up and there's no good trees. So there's a couple young cedar trees that you could kind of have like a natural ground blind if you just sit in them. So, um, and it worked like magic. I, I found there was, it was tore up like scrapes, tore up scrapes along this old fence row. Um, and it was, I mean, from where the structure was to the brushy French row is about 35 yards wide. So I called it, I kind of started calling it death alley. I was like, this is awesome. I was like, anything that comes down here is, is toast. And so, um, I had, man, I hunted it for two days. Um, great encounters all, all days. I passed a buck. I shouldn't have passed the first morning. I ended up shooting a, a really good eight point. Um, the second morning, my dad was out there with a tag. I took him back to the exact same spot, uh, that evening and he killed him and he killed his best, one of his best bow bucks out of the exact same spot the same day. I shot mine in the morning. He shot his out of the same spot in the evening on public ground. Yeah. Um, so those, those two are probably my best, my best rut memories. Those are, those were pretty special. And it's, you know, even though that's Kansas, that's still a testament to how good you can have it out on public land. I'm telling you, man. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, I, biggest buck I ever killed in my life was on public land during the rut in Nova, in Nebraska, and it was 
bonkers. Yep. <laughs> bonkers. And it, you know, it can, it can definitely happen out there, but the, the one thing that I, we should have touched on, I want to touch on right now about, you know, you, sort of the optimism conversation we just had and what you're talking about right now is when you believe, you know, like you, you went in and you found the death alley down there in, in Kansas and you're like, that, that's the kind of spot where you're putting in time. Like you're going to be like, you, you yeah. believe in it. You believe in yourself. You believe in your scouting. You believe in that spot and you're going to put in the time. And I think we talk a lot about dark to dark sits and we talk about, you know, days and days on end. And most people really aren't doing that. Like they can find reasons to talk themselves out of, you know, right. go in for lunch or do whatever. But when you've, yeah. yeah, I mean, but when you've got a good attitude and you believe you're going to see deer, that's like the, the real key to rut success is because then you're going to put in the time and you need to. Absolutely. 30 minute rule. I was always tell myself 30 more minutes, just 30 more minutes. It's like another half an hour, man. That's all you got to have just 30 more minutes. And then sure enough, then by the time it's one and then you're like, it's one o'clock. What am I going to do? Like, I, I mean, you know, if, if you're in the right spot, I mean, typically how I personally, you know, if I had to, if I had to average it out 90% of the time, my all day sits are, you know, I've got lunch, snacks, water in my pack, start in one spot in the morning. Cause I'm usually there for a morning reason. Right. And then, and then just get down, move to whatever is going to capitalize on evening or, or some type of later in the day and then set up again immediately. So it's like, I'm, I'm all day. It's just, I might be in two different spots depending on, yep. on what it looks like, but don't, I mean, there's absolutely, those spots where you just, you know, train features, habitat, location, reason for why you just, you ride it out dark to dark all day. And you just, you gotta, I mean, for me, and then, uh, you know, it gets tough, right? I mean, you've been there, it's, it's November 20th and you're just like, gosh, I've been doing this for the last 30 days. And it's like, I'm just, you know, beat and tired. And, you know, I just want to lay down and take a nap and you do it. But it's like, then I start thinking about, you know, literally between January and August, the 50 miles I've scouted and I've walked and scouted and I've, and you know, the different, you know, the investment of, of time, time away from my family, the wife, time away from, you know, everything. And it's like, what are you doing? I mean, it's like, if I'm, why would I bail now? Right. Yep. Right. Like I've, everything I've done all the time and the, the commitment. So it's like, that helps me too. It's like, man, I've got so much invested in this and it's fun. It's a good thing. It's going to feel so good when it pays off. And that's the thing, not if, but when you got to just have that, that mental uh, mindset of just that positivity of not if, but when, and, and sometimes you find those perfect places or those beautiful spots where you do just got to sit there and ride it out. Yeah. And I think, recognizing that's real important. And also what you said there where, you know, you're going to hunt all day, but it might be from two different locations yeah. that that happens by choice and by necessity a lot. And so I think, I think we've sold this idea of the dark to dark sit is the answer to the rut problems. And it certainly can be if you, if the wind holds up for you, right. conditions stay in your favor and you've got that faith, but man, I, I've had a lot of times, I had this happen last year. I went into a spot you know, like November 5th, 6th, whatever it was. And I was, I was going to sit all day. It was a Creek crossing. It was, it, it was right on a million different accounts. And I saw like, I can't, I think I saw 17 deer or something by like 10 o'clock in the morning. It, it was on, but the wind was like not doing what it was supposed to. And it kept getting worse as it got warmer. And then I had somebody else come in on me. And at, at like 11 o'clock, I was like, now I'm doing more damage here than good. And I, I say this because I had a backup. Like I, I could walk out there, get to my truck, go to a new spot. 
And I always know that when I go in for an all day sit, because that stuff happens that you can't control. And so if, if you go out there and you're like, Oh, I'm going to sit here from dark to dark and something happens. If you don't have that backup, you don't have, you don't have something in mind where you're like, you know, if this one blows up, I'm going here, then it's easy to go home. Or then it's easy to just maybe even worse, ride out that spot, hoping the rut's going to save you when the wind is dead wrong. That's, that's danger ground or danger zone there. For sure. Absolutely. And planning too. I mean, and on the other side of that coin is if you plan for it, if you plan for an all day sit, if you go in with the mindset of, man, I can't wake up to wait, wait tomorrow. I'm gonna, I got my lunch packed. I'm going to have food. I'm going to have, I'm going to be good to go. There's not going to be any reason for me to come out of there. If you go in with that mindset, there's going to be, like you said, wind switch, something changes. You're seeing for whatever reason, you know, you're, you're, this happened to me last year. I went in, I, it was at one of those spots where here in Illinois, where I knew it was going to be great. And it was just ridged, this thick top CRP field that dumped down into these, this creek bottom. And there was with three ridges, kind of like a turkey foot, all came together right there at the bottom. And I was up on one of those ridges. Well, 100 yards away where I, you know, I was set up here where I knew there was a good sign. And I, you know, I knew it was a good spot. I was going to sit dark to dark. Well, 100 yards away, you know, by 10 o'clock. And after the fifth buck came through and like the 12th deer on the other ridge, 100 yards away, I was like, hey, dummy get down and go over there to the other ridge and set up. And that's what I did. Um, and I had to cut another couple bucks, you know, good. And nothing, no shooters came by, but another couple good ones. So, I mean, just again, going with the mindset, I think that you're, I'm prepared to be here all day and I know I'm in a good spot, a high level of confidence. I've got food. I'm good there. I've got plenty of clothes. I'm not going to get cold, you know, just, just doing everything you can, but obviously being willing to make those adjustments. Like I had to, I mean, like I said, my all day, you know, all day sit and, you know, basically resulted in a hundred yard move. And then I was there till the, for the rest of the day. But I mean, the right mindset saying I can tackle this thing, I can do this all day sit thing. And I, and I know it's going to pay off, but just, you know, don't be blind to those other things too, that, you know, if you need to adapt and do something different then do something different. What's your go-to snack for all day sits? Oh man, I am, I go back and forth. So I, I, I grew up, my dad always, when he started taking me hunting before I could even hunt, you know, and it's like, gosh, you, you taking your little girls, you got to be prepared, right? You got to have the snacks. You got to be dialed in because it's, you know, it's going to matter. So it was nine o'clock. So 9 a.m. is Pop-Tart time. So that was what all growing up through my youth. That was like all. So I still honor that. Sometimes it rotates back and forth. I rotate back and forth between Cliff Bars and Pop-Tarts, but usually it's always either one or, one or the other at 9 a.m. So that's my first snack. Lunch is either... Oh, it varies kind of a lot. Um, I'd say it varies between three. I either have a few slices of cold pizza, um, either like a turkey sandwich or a wrap or a peanut butter and jelly. So there's either a couple of those sandwiches for lunch. And then an afternoon snack is usually like, I'll try to do something a little bit healthier, like some type of like raw veggies, like a carrots or celery or something like that. Or, um, or even, uh, um, another, like, uh, another cliff bar, or sometimes an apple, something like that. So that's kind of what my, what I like to eat, man. I'm a, I'm a big dude. I, I am not, you know, I'm not a, I'm not a little guy. I like, I like to eat. I got, I, I, yeah. And honestly, if there's something that chases me out of the, out of the woods earlier, if I, or if I have a weak moment, it's always hunger. Like it's never tired. It's never cold. It's never anything like that. I can battle all that stuff. But man, if I don't, if I'm not prepared with food, I'm out. Interesting. You, uh, <laughs> are much more responsible with your food choice than I am. I, uh, you know, when you, when you mentioned bringing, you know, nine year olds up, I want to hear your list. What's that? I want to hear your list. What do you, Uh, you my list is embarrassing. (laughs) I, I, um, 
almost always bring two Yetis full of coffee now. I drink coffee all day long. I hate it. I, uh, I'm just an addict, man. I got to have something. And so I bring, I always, coffee is, is muy importante. Got to have it. And if you were, if you were to look in my backpack on like November 7th, you would be like, okay, well, Tony just obviously gave his nine-year-olds like a hundred dollars and said, go candy shopping. Cause it's just freaking. You raided their trick-or-treating stash. You just brought it all with you. It's embarrassing, dude. I eat so much candy when I'm, when I'm sitting all day and it, you know, I do make like a decent sandwich or two for the day, usually two like turkey sandwiches or something. And I try to, I try to make them cause it, it's, that's a weird situation. You know how this is like when you, when you go elk hunting or out West where you should be hungry all day, a lot of times you really not like, you kind of got to bring food that you're, you're going to want to eat. So, it, you know, right. that, that's a mistake. A lot of people make when they go elk hunting is like, they buy the food people tell them to buy, you know, right. this is only a couple ounces and it's X amount of calories. You got to have this almond butter or something. It's like, well, if you don't like almond butter, this is no bueno, you know, exactly. you like it. Cause you're not going to eat it. Like, even yeah. though you'll be in this weird state of hunger, you're not going to eat it. And so I try it like with a, turkey sandwich i try to like make some bacon beforehand or something like i have something like where i'm gonna look at that sandwich and be like i want to eat that not like i have to force myself to eat it and i can't really do like you mentioned cliff bars i get a little bit physically sick thinking about cliff bars because oh. that was like our go-to thing for so many years and i've got a i've got a hunting buddy who's a he's really cheap and he bought cliff bars for one of our trips like 14 years ago and he still brings that bag around like we still haven't finished it and so they're awesome. you know they're 10 years beyond their expiration date and i'm oh. just like i i have stuff i've my mom's not a very good cook so growing no. up we ate the same four or five <laughs> meals all the time and there's certain things like i cannot just can't eat. do it yeah. yeah like if you if you were like if you put a plate of goulash in front of me <laughs> i would I'm be like goulash, dude. oh god <laughs> That's one of my favorite deer hunting. That's one of my favorite deer hunting meals. My mom makes awesome goulash. I love it. No, no, thanks. I <laughs> no. Yeah, no, I can't do it. And so I, long story long, my back, my backpack's full of stuff that you shouldn't eat. Probably like yeah. my, my backpack's full of candy and shit that you should not eat. But I, I, I like to reward myself. So I, you know, you said like, oh, another half hour, another half hour. I do stupid shit. Like I'll, I'll be sitting there. I'll be like, I'm going to give myself a drink of coffee and I'm going to eat like a, a, a Snickers at 10 o'clock. And yeah. then at noon, I'm going to have some more coffee and I'm going to eat some M&Ms or something. Like I have to do these little games, you know, Who otherwise it's, it, you know, like you said, man, it's, if it's hard to stay out there, it's, you know, we sell this Terminator, you know, kind of attitude of like, oh, it's, it's, you know, go out and sit dark to dark. And like. It's not that easy. No. If you're a human being, no. <laughs> I mean, it's, yeah, it's, it's not. I mean, you get, you get distracted, you get frustrated, you get, you know, you get tired. It's, yeah. I mean, you, everyone has, go, I, I, I mean, yeah, everyone rides that is, is flirting with that burnout line at some point in the season. I mean, it's going to happen for sure. And yeah, I, I love that. I, I might have to do that. I might have to, I might have to adopt the, the food reward, food reward thing for staying <laughs> on stand longer. I, I think that's good. I mean, that's, and that's where it's like, you got, I agree with you totally. You got to you get it's, And that's, what's fun about the season. It's like, you're traveling, like, you know, we got Casey's here in the Midwest and it's like, I mean, that's pretty much my diet, which is not great, but it's Casey's pizza, you know, the, the little chicken tender, like cups that they've got, or like these, you know, the, the pork tenderloin that's like, you know, it's got this little, like, you know, 
half circle size bun and the and then the pork tender one that's the size of your head you know you're 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 eating those that's like your diet you get excited about that you're like this is awesome i get this what i get to live on for the next month this is cool you know that's what you know back when mark kenyon was actually cool right like when he used to have his rut like he'd have his rut set up where it's like oreos and mountain dew and like all this stuff and now you know he's he's super healthy and you know just i guess better than us but because he's like a freaking robot it's probably (laughs) i i was gonna so let's wrap this up what do you think mark's ideal snack is now i'm gonna say celery plain and maybe like a box of raisins or something he seems like he would eat raisins I think it's a, I think it's a Ziploc bag of a couple handfuls of unsalted, unroasted raw almonds. Oh yeah. He seems like that, that would be a good, a good choice for him. Yeah. yeah. Cause of the protein, right. And it's got the good fats and it, you know, he, he'd be dialed with that. So it's his brain development. So he knows exactly when to blind call. <laughs> <laughs> oh man. I love it. Uh, all right, buddy. I know you got to get, uh, you got to get packed up here. We got a lot of stuff to do. I really appreciate you coming on, man. Good luck in South Dakota. Good luck when you get home and you, you kill a big one on Illinois. Good luck for the rest of the rut, buddy. Thank you, man. I really appreciate it. It's fun talking to you as always. And uh, good luck to you, man. I know you got a lot of hunts coming up too, and you're going to be hitting it hard. So best of luck to you. Shoot straight. Awesome. Thanks, buddy. See ya. That's it for this week, folks. Be sure to tune in next week for more whitetail goodness. This has been Wired to Hunt, and I'm your guest host, Tony Peterson. As always, thank you so much for listening. And if you're looking for more whitetail content, be sure to check out themeateater.com slash wired. Again, that's themeateater.com slash wired to see a pile of new articles each week by Mark, myself, and a whole slew of whitetail addicts, or head over to our Wired to Hunt YouTube channel to view the weekly content we're putting up. Hey, if you guys like to cook outdoors and you ought to, you should check out the Weber Slate Rust-Resistant Griddle. So this is a carbon steel cooktop that's safe for metal tools. It's pre-seasoned with food-safe oils and ready to cook on right out of the box. It's the griddle that stays ready, not rusty. This griddle heats evenly edge to edge, reaching all the way up to 500 degrees. Get fired up for your new Weber Slate rust-resistant griddle. Outdoor adventure won't wait for engine problems. Things like hard starts, rough performance, and lost fuel economy are often caused by fuel gum and varnish buildup. Seafoam can help your engine run better and last longer. You simply pour a can into your gas tank. Hunters and anglers rely on seafoam to keep their engines running the way it should the entire season. So pick up a can of seafoam today at your local auto parts store or visit seafoamworks.com to learn more.